Hey, welcome to Inbound Agency Journey. Thank you for taking time out of your busy day to listen to this show. I hope that it brings insight into your life and that it can help you take your agency to the place you want it to be, that you can build the business that you want, that you're not going to be defined by anything. You're not going to be pushed around by clients. You're not going to be defined by technology. You're going to take this opportunity to build your dream business, whatever that means. If that's a 50-person agency servicing hundreds of accounts, or if it's you and a group of contractors just building the lifestyle agency that you want, I hope that this podcast is a resource for you that helps you get to where you want to go. Today, I am so, so excited to bring on my good friend, Michael Redmond from Half a Bubble Out in Chico, California. Michael is a very passionate guy, and you're going to get that in this podcast. He is someone who believes very deeply in building and cultivating an authentic agency culture. And I'll tell you what, it sounds like a fantastic place to work. I think if you are an owner of an agency and you have a team around you, you're going to take some nuggets from this interview, and it's going to help you become a better boss. It's going to help you become a better leader, and it's going to help your clients at the end of the day get a better result because there's going to be a healthier agency behind it. So without further ado, here is Michael Redman from Half a Bubble Out. Here we go. Welcome to Inbound Agency Journey. This is the show where inbound agency leaders share the strategies, shortcomings, and successes they've experienced in their journey toward building their dream agency. Now, here are your hosts, Andrew and Gray. Welcome to Inbound Agency Journey. Today, we are excited to have Michael Redman from Half a Bubble Out on the podcast today. And Michael, I want to kick things off by just hearing a little bit about your story, how you got your agency up and running, and what your role looks like there right now. Absolutely. Well, my wife and I uh, started Half a Bubble Out in 2002, and I'm the CEO of the company. And so we're about almost 13 years old, uh, started in May. So that's pretty exciting. And we've just been growing as a full-service advertising and marketing firm over the years. I started with actually internet work in the mid-90s when the web wasn't much of a web. We were just excited about this cool thing. You could go look at flashing GIFs. (laughs) And then as we grow and change in 2002, we thought, okay, we'll do a full agency. We had some changes in our life and our daughter was about uh, two years old. And actually about that time, she was about seven. She's in college now. And so we just started working on the company and started growing it. We started in the spare bedroom, went to the converted garage, uh, moved out of there a couple of years later and started adding staff and uh, growing with clients and and just saw the company grow and expand. But we did outbound and internet marketing at that time. We didn't even have a term for inbound. And as things went on, we just continued to add SEO services. And then we saw this thing called social media startup that we heard about out at Harvard and that they wouldn't let anybody but college students in on it. And we watched all that develop and then we watched all the great promises that this was this was the promised land. It was going to save everybody. And if you could just get on Facebook, you would change your business and, and it would be easy. Well, obviously, there were plenty of opportunities for people to fail and, and uh, learn. And all of a sudden, they realized that they wanted to hire companies. So as time has gone on, as you know, there have been lots of opportunities because the industries have been maturing and skills have come along. So somewhere along the line, we jumped on HubSpot and 
and focused on inbound about two and a half years ago. And that's been a good addition to what we do as a company. That's awesome. How has, through this through these periods of growth, have you guys seen a particular niche or a particular industry coming up over and over again that you guys have a really good fit with? Yeah, the medical industry has really shown itself to be a good niche. And I didn't, I didn't pursue it. It wasn't in this day and age where everybody's talking about find your niche. I'm, I'm wondering if the discussion should be more about discover your niche. Uh, and I say that because of this. Uh, sometimes looking at a niche and going, okay, what niche am I going to focus on? And if you don't have anything that's showing up, it's really it's easier to go look, what are my experiences and what are my opportunities? We had plenty of background in medical, but we never thought about using it. And then we had an opportunity back in 2007 cross our paths, a medical supply company, a device company in our Northern California area, was looking for a logo. They hired us. We created a logo for them. They had two doctors that were their first doctors using their device. It was a laser device. Uh, and the, the best part about it was it was a laser device that killed toenail fungus. <laughs> <laughs> so That's awesome. So, yeah. So toenail fungus was this weird thing. It was a client. And, and you know, at the, at the time it started, it was just like, okay, here's just another client. Here's another opportunity. Here's another project. And then we went from there to um, the doctor said, well, we'd like to hire you directly. And then the next thing we knew, a couple of months later, we got this call from uh, the Midwest. And this guy goes, oh, I heard about you. Would you advertise our practice? And we started becoming this, we got this reputation of being good at marketing and advertising. These podiatrists who had these lasers that killed toenail fungus and none of it was insured or it couldn't be paid for by insurance. And so it was all cash. And, and it was a, we, we found ourselves accidentally working in this niche of medical um, and actually even further niching in um, devices or procedures that um, insurance doesn't pay for. Oh, wow. When you get in, and that whole niche, that's a very interesting niche because that's where our, our entire medical industry is going so much that if you want to get all these things done, you know, research has developed so many great ideas and they just keep coming and coming and coming to make our lives better, to deal with little things. And did you know over 40 million Americans suffer from toenail fungus? <laughs> That's a great this PSA. Is, <laughs> <laughs> this is a challenge for people and they don't want their toenails out. And, and when you become known as the guy who markets toenail fungus treatment, it's you got to have a little bit of humility because people make fun of you. (laughs) Well, yeah, but I'm paying the bills and I'm okay with that. (laughs) So anyway, that's our niche. I was, that was, and it's grown from there um, in different things. And we started taking care of podiatrists and one of my best um, clients for the last four years has been a podiatrist in Manhattan. Wow. So we, we enjoy him and, and he's, we've used inbound for him for the last two and a half years and it's been incredibly successful. Wow. So we've got Michael the Fungus Guy here on the podcast today. And uh, <laughs> Michael, that's a phenomenal transition into how did you expand your team? <laughs> did, uh, did niching in the medical space at all affect the type of people you tried to bring on to your team? And, and how, what's your methodology been for just growing an internal team? Yeah, no, it had nothing to do with the niche. I never, ever, ever hire anybody who has experience in a particular niche. Um, we look for a couple of different things. 
it's probably important for me to back up just a second and say one of the most important things at Half a Bubble Out is culture. Um, anybody who knows us, anybody who has worked here, any of our interns that have come and gone, they know that I care about environment. I care about the way people work together and teams work together. So we design everything from our space to the interaction we have with our staff and, and even to the point where we're very specific about the way we hire and certain attributes. But I'd rather hire the right people for who they are and their character. And then um, the type of competence issues I evaluate are can you write? Do you uh, communicate well? Can you edit? Are you comfortable with technology? Are you curious? Are you a learner? I start looking for those types of, of characteristics. And then we evaluate, you know, are they a good fit for what we do with working with lots of different clients, lots of different areas? Because even though we do focus on medical, I've probably got five other different niches or markets that we work in. And they have to be able to move back and forth and, and evaluate those things and work with people. If they can work with people and they can write well, there's a good chance they'll be a good fit here. Oh, that's awesome. Are there any... Your team that you've built right now, are there anything, any similarities, any majors that are similar, um, you know, if it's not niche? Are there anything that unify them or is it just you get them in a room and you're able to interview them and get, and get a good feel for their core competencies? That's a good question. Uh, we actually do have – there's a, a similarity amongst a lot of our staff that was not intentional. So I have several folks that came out of a communications degree – I've got journalism, I've got PR, uh, just straight communication, maybe video background. And then I have one school teacher who was teaching for over 10 years and decided she wanted to make a change. And she was an old family friend. And I said, I could use somebody who knows how to teach and educate and communicate. And so she came on three years ago. That's awesome. How, yeah. What's it been like having a, a teacher as part of the team? Uh well, I'll tell you about this morning's meeting. So uh, when, when I came in this morning uh, on Tuesday, she and I meet, and she acts as a partial assistant to me too in her office is next to mine. We started talking about, okay, we do the first 15 minutes of our meeting is usually just kind of catching up on thoughts and ideas. She's somebody I can really bounce different thoughts and concepts back and forth with. Okay. She's a great listener, a great question asker. Then we'll start to move into just different things we've thought that would apply to different clients um, walk through her list, walk through my list, and kind of do the basic business stuff. She, One of the things I encourage all of us to do at the office is if you get opportunities to invest in the community, it might be a small part-time job, but a lot of times it's just volunteer stuff. Get involved. Do something that you can. And she, one of the things she does as an old teacher, she does reviews for teachers that are going through the, the teaching program at the university. Okay. Okay. So she, at once a year, she's got to read all these papers and they're doing their final reviews and, and all this stuff. And we were talking about this teacher. We spent 20 minutes this morning talking about the review of this one gal who was becoming a teacher and evaluating the different pieces and parts of what makes a good teacher, what makes a good preparation for lesson plans and things like that. It sounds like this might not have anything to do with marketing and with inbound and content creation. But if anybody's done content creation long enough, they realize that the ability to have a goal, to communicate well, and in a lot of content marketing, to be able to educate. Uh, 
And what came out of this conversation this morning, and it was just a random conversation for us, was what does it look like to think about putting a lot of great ideas together and not having a goal? And that was the problem with this one teacher. She had mm-hmm. done all this phenomenal work, collected all these great ideas. you know. And in the content world, that might be a great title and oh, we've got this great picture and we've got this great idea. And, these, and you can collect – our industry has just an over plethora of great ideas. But if you don't have a clear goal and a clear focus in your blog, all you have is a bunch of great ideas that got stuck together and then you come away from it going, wow, that might have been interesting, but what do I do? There's no call to action. There's no, there's no focus on it. It doesn't move people through a sales funnel or it doesn't move people to the next place. And teaching and marketing – in our conversation this morning, we just found that place of, wow, rich, rich, rich information that if we weren't talking about teaching, because she and I both enjoy that, we might not have been able to yield some more gems for our clients and ourselves. Wow. I love it. Thinking about it in that context, it's really what, we're, what we are trying to do as agencies is to teach our customers or teach our clients. And in a way, we want them to take the next step in a very real way to take that and teach their prospects. Uh, so, Michael, from this team that you've been able to assemble and culture is so important, can you bring us in to one of those meetings uh, where you're just discussing a recent client win? Um, past couple months, past couple weeks, uh, sometime, could you just could you refer to an, a client win that you guys just knocked it out of the park? You know, we're really fortunate right now. I, I, I knew this question was coming and I really wrestled with who to talk about because we've had our ups and downs. We've been doing this long enough. We've had our ups and downs where we've gone through seasons where we don't have wins. And if there's any agencies listening right now that are in that place where they're just kind of in a dry season, the system works. The concept works. Keep moving forward. Keep pushing. You'll come out of it. We had a, an eight-month, eh, six-month downturn for a lot of our clients last year uh, and we didn't know what was happening and we just kept working with the process looking at the changes google was making last fall as they called their database and everything else and started seeing a lot of wins after the first of the year come back and so we've had i think uh 90 of our clients are just hitting it out of the park right now and it's real exciting one of them that i just i just think is fun and it's a small client well let me tell you two really quick one is our client in Manhattan. One of the things we're real excited about is his business in the last year and a half, two years that we've been doing inbound for him has tripled. Oh, wow. So when you talk about all this, you talk about you know traffic and you talk about leads and you talk about all that stuff. But the, really the bottom line for all of us is, are we doing anything for the business? Yeah. And if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes the answer is no. I'm doing a lot of work and I'm not helping them get customers. And that's really discouraging as an agency and the client gets frustrated and everything else. But what we started seeing was him being real successful. The hard part we had as a staff was, first of all, you're talking about something that not everybody – talk about a boring subject. Not everybody wants to talk about feet and buttons <laughs> and hammer toes. It just doesn't happen. There's nothing sexy about it. Uh, although the most popular blog we've had in the last year and a half is Sexy Feet. Wow. And that was in the title. And evidently, <laughs> somehow in the spring around Valentine's Day or something, the people want sexy feet. I don't understand. It's a very, very popular blog a year later. So let me <laughs> tell you. 
but with that said, watching his first year was really, really hard because the results were really, really slow. The traffic was really, really slow to grow. Keywording was really tough in his industry, and it was really tough in Manhattan working on a local um, basis also. And we did everything we could to try and hold on to the client, trying to educate them because their concepts and ideas about search engine optimization, about keywords, and everything else was very old school. Okay. And they'd made and, – and, and not even old school so much as they'd made mistakes listening to more of a pop culture definition as opposed to an actual educated understanding of it. So again, we moved back into that teacher role and there's a lot of stress on our team when those things aren't going well. But as, as the months started to get turned to 9 to 10, 11 and 12, we started seeing some really great things. What happened in the great winter that uh, the East Coast had, Northeast had uh, two winters ago, he had the best December he's, he's ever had hmm. or almost ever had. And that was at like 11 or 12 months starting our campaign. And the January, he tripled the amount of surgeries he did in January in the midst of the worst winter they'd seen in 100 years. Wow. And that was last, last Christmas. That was Christmas or January 2014. This last year, um, the business overall has tripled. We don't have all the numbers, but I think it's pushing towards quadrupled. They have expanded their space in Manhattan, and for the first time in, I don't know, 15 years, 10, 10 years, they moved into a new space, and they tripled their floor space. What? Now, that's, a, that's serious. That's a huge deal. That right there for us as we've continued to look at it is I look at their revenue, but the fact is they were able to afford to triple their square footage of their office space and their surgical space in Manhattan. That's amazing, Michael. Yeah. And they're like four blocks, five blocks off times square. They're in the middle of all of it. So it was really, that's a really big win, but we almost lost them a couple of times. And actually, if you dig back into the history of this client, I fired them at one point. Oh, wow. Yeah, and because they were, they had expressed to me, "Look, we're in a hurry." I said, "Well, I appreciate you're in a hurry, but it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. You can't rush all this stuff, and when you do, you run into problems." And they'd had some problems in the past. Okay. And finally, they just said, "You know what? We're New Yorkers, and in New York Minute is 15 seconds long." And I'm like, "Okay, that's nice. What do I do?" And they, "You're a Californian, and you just don't understand." <laughs> So we had to talk them through it. It was tightrope type for a while. And, and then finally, they insulted one of my staff members. There goes back to how do you handle staff. Um, they got rude and, and really insulted one of my staff members taking care of their account. And I said, we're done. I draw a line at making sure that people are honoring to one another. And if a client isn't going to be honoring, I don't care what's going on. And we hadn't really made a mistake. They just got really snippy one day. Okay. And that was two and a half years ago. I fired them. They came back a week later and said, we're sorry, and will you give us another chance? And they've been one of our top three clients for the last two and a half years since then. Wow. Man, good yeah. for you for just standing up for your team. That, that, just, that says a lot to me, Michael, about who you are as a business owner and as a leader there. That speaks a lot. Well, I appreciate that. How from, I mean, a success, like obviously you guys are like, you're experiencing a lot of success with them right now, but can you share a little bit more with us from a struggle standpoint when a client isn't seeing the numbers that they do feel like they should be seeing when you're on the phone with them or when your account manager on the phone with them, what does that process look like? How do you, how do you educate someone when they feel like they're not getting the results that they should be seeing at this moment? 
Uh, that's a good question. How do you educate someone when they're not getting the results? We do a couple of things that we try and do well, and I'm going to tell you the ideal, and then I'll tell you the latest uh, debacle that we've had. Okay. Um, just sharing, sharing our underbelly of mistakes and, <laughs> and things that have happened. Clear expectations are the cornerstone of any good co- communication. Um, I do my best, and our team does our best, to communicate clearly up front in expectations. We have a very clear contract. We try and do a lot of, of discussion over the phone. And most of my clients I don't meet face-to-face. I, probably 70% of them I don't meet face-to-face. So we do this over the phone. We're trying to make sure that they understand. I walk them. The sales process is an important process to walk through because not only do you uh, qualify them and make sure they're a good customer, but the right fit is important and making sure that they understand those expectations. What are they getting themselves into? It's going to take a while. There, there may be some quick wins, but a lot of times they're not. And so that's the first thing we do is make sure that our contract is set up and we try and set clear expectations in the beginning. We try and make sure we dialogue enough with them. If there are people who don't want to talk, that's our, one of our first clues that they're not going to be a good client okay. because they're going to make assumptions a lot of times and they're going to tell you what they want. And if you're not doing it, especially if they're high performers, if they don't want to communicate and listen and talk, then that's a red flag for us. And then as we move forward, usually in the contract, we are not in the contract, but in the midst of executing a plan and a strategy for them, we have to talk to them a lot. There's a lot of coming back to, remember we said this. The folks in Manhattan, I probably had to describe and define what what keywords were in a keyword strategy and the value uh, 50 times. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. Every meeting, every month we'd come back, there would be a conversation. Well, why aren't we ranking for this? Okay, well, well, what did we say? Remember what we said last month? The thing I found is learning to be able to communicate and anticipate where they're coming from mm-hmm. and to have empathy for it and to honor people. It's amazing how much when you listen to where people are coming from and try and, and honor them, you can actually get a long way in earning trust. And that's what I that's what you're doing early on in the process, in my opinion, when it's not, especially when it's not performing, is you're doing everything you can to earn trust, earn trust, earn trust. Okay. And if you can do that, you can say, you know, the last thing I try and say is trust me. It's like the last I don't ever want to tell somebody to trust me. I want to earn their trust so they trust me. Yeah. And every once in a while you're just going, please, please over the phone. You're begging. Please trust me. I know this is hard, but it's gonna turn around. <laughs> and, and that was the way it was for the folks in Manhattan. Because um some of these concepts, especially of inbound marketing, they're not as straightforward and simple. What I found over 12, 13 years of stuff is most advertising and marketing doesn't there's no quick fixes, no magic bullets. And uh, anybody, you guys, you know that. Yeah, yeah, you've got to put in the work up front to to see fruit, and you got to stick to it. I think if there's, um, you know, people if they're not seeing something, they think something huge needs to change, or there needs to be a massive shift. But sometimes it can be a small tweak, or just continuing along the journey that you've been on so far. That's the key to getting you where you need to be. Mm-hmm. Can I share my failure with you on that one? Yeah, definitely. Okay, so uh, we pitched a client in March of 2014. Um, he went dark on us. It was a big account. And he just, he, he just uh, did what most people do. They decide they don't want to do it and they don't, 
they're not polite enough to tell you that they don't want to do it. And he went dark, and that was fine. Was a connection with one of my doctors. He was in the medical field. In November, we got a call from him. He apologized for not communicating. He was told by several other people that the cost we had given him was way too high and they could do it for much less. And he basically said he had a guy on staff that was convinced he could do it. And then he told me that person is no longer with them and they produce no results. Oh, wow. (laughs) That was encouraging. I'm like, okay, well, that's good. Um, So let's talk about this more. I took him back and, and did a presentation again just to make sure he knew what he was getting himself into, wanted to do this. Set a budget. It all looked good. It was a very large count for us. And we talked about it taking time and taking time and taking time. Well, this was the most unique thing for us because when we went through onboarding and we got him done in about 80 days and then we started hitting it out of the park. I couldn't believe it was, Andrew, it was the best onboarding my team has ever done, bar none the best process, the best workflows, the best everything, the quality of the content. I mean, they were just, I was, I was, I'm still today super thrilled. (laughs) Now the bad news is the client came to us about six weeks ago and said, I, I, I I don't like this. I I can't do this. I, I, this is awful. And he was just, he was freaking out. He was panicking. Seth Godin just wrote a book recently called The Dip. Have you read it? No, I've not. Okay, well, it's a great short read. And one of the things he says is the dip is that place, that long place after the first wins you get that's really just slugging through to learn something and to earn your place in it. And, and it, in inbound marketing, content marketing, it was perfect for that because we have this long dip before we get to the, the meat or the fruit of our, our work. Yeah. So one of the things he says is this. The worst thing you can do in a dip is panic. Panicking and making a decision when you're panicking. Panicking comes upon you. It's not something you choose to do. Mm-hmm. And if you make a decision to quit in the dip, you'll never get through the dip to the other side where all the value is. My client started to panic. Okay. Now, let me give you an idea of what was happening. Our social media from February to March, and the traffic increased 400%. Traffic to our website increased 400%. And the, the social media had been around. He'd had a mess of a social media for a year and a half. And we cleaned all that up and we started doing all this content. And the numbers started screaming. The, even the organic was starting to jump quickly, which was a shock to me. Okay. And yet in his mind, he's like, I, and he panicked and he made a decision in the panic and he let us go. It is, everybody's still licking their wounds around here a little bit. But it is going to go down as one of the best startups and a case study for how you can start up strong, how you can do really well, and how you can try to communicate with the client. And sometimes it just doesn't – you can't hold them on. You can't hold on to them. You can't hold them through it and nurture them through it and you lose them. Hmm. And it hurts. But I look back now and I go, you know what? 95% of what we did, we did right it just was one of those circumstances. Hmm. Is it, was there, when you analyzed it, was there anything that you brought out to say, I could use this to improve my process? Or is it, he, it was it a personality conflict that caused the disconnect? The answer is both. <laughs> it was both. The, the client 
was one of those leaders who is um, a very strong leader with a very strong um, idea of self-confidence and yet not always real reasonable. Okay. So there were challenges in the midst of that. Um, I will tell you that we had a phone call with him and I was having a bad day and he said some stuff that if I had been more on my game, if I had been calmer and not reacted as much to him pushing my buttons, mm. that probably would have helped. But the more we've walked through it, you know, you walk through these things and you go, what can I learn? I've got, if I don't learn from this mistake, if I don't find anything in it, then it really was a waste. Yeah. And if I can find some jewels for it, so some of it was learning for me to continue to remind me to breathe when somebody says something that's so absurd that <laughs> I can't even grasp how you said that. Um, and I didn't breathe one day on the phone. And, um, and then being able to hold people accountable. Um, this particular client, I held accountable because he was doing something unethical. Um, and when you do that, the sad part is sometimes that'll shoot you in the foot because mm. you got to hold them accountable, but people don't want to be held accountable in that situation, especially if they're being unethical. And we ran into that situation. So okay. it was kind of, it was both. I made some mistakes. I, I'm, and even if I didn't make some major mistakes, I'm going, okay, how do I set expectations better? Yeah. How do I help walk people through it? And you don't learn those things until you fail and skin your knees. Oh, from an ethics standpoint, Michael, is it, how do you approach that? How do you kick off that conversation? Even if it you feel like it might have gone poorly, how do you how do you and your team tackle something like that that you don't agree with? Well, part of it's contextual. What you know, what's the ethical violation? What's what's being challenged? In this case, it was I had made a mistake. Here's one of my mistakes I made. I, I had a contract that was great. I had done all that. It was all in writing, but periodically when you get into a a relationship with a client and things are going well, I brought on a vendor to fulfill one more thing because he's like, hey, this is great. What can we do to accelerate this? And I suggested some stuff in the social media realm and I have a vendor uh, that created a software and real good relationship and we use this stuff. I said, well, here's an opportunity. And we didn't do another written contract. Mm. And so when the client came back around and said, um, well, I want to cancel that. I said, well, we have a 90 days and we can finish after that. He goes, well, we don't have anything in writing. And and I realized that there's a couple of things. I try really hard to assess personalities as I'm going in to make sure they're a good fit or not. But you can't always read minds. You can't always do that. Getting, unfortunately, in this day and age, written contracts are important. And that would have been much better because it would have helped him stay the course and see the value of what he was investing. But he started panicking and then he said, I'm going to cancel it. And he was going to basically leave us paying that bill with our vendor because I'm going to pay my vendor one way or another. Yeah. So I had to ask him, you know, well, I had brought it up. Wait a minute. You said this. I don't care. We don't have anything in writing. And, and ultimately I had to say to him, are you telling me that if you tell me something, I can't trust it? Wow. And I said it that calm. I was full of emotion, but it was that calm. And, I'm, and that right there is where the rubber meets the road with people with ethics. Mm -hmm. is if you call them on that, we all make mistakes. We all do dumb things. We all panic. And we all say things that we wish a millisecond after we say it, we could take it back. 
But the difference in that place of a mature, ethical person is going to be, um, you know what, I shouldn't have said that. You're right. We'll take care of this. Um, mm. and, and, and that's a difficult thing and mature thing. But if you don't confront it, in my opinion, Andrew, you will be it will it will come around later. It will rear its ugly head, and so you have to at least address those things. Whether even though you know, if you're asking somebody that question, it's probably the near the death of the relationship because you shouldn't have to ask that question. Yeah, yeah. But you got to be you got to be honest and help hold people accountable. Um, but you're not going to be good at it unless you let people hold you accountable too. Hmm. I think it goes. I mean, it, it rolls right into the culture and. Because you've got your internal team that is with you through and through there with across clients day to day side by side. I think if if you're in a conversation like that and you're an owner and you don't call out everything that we do when we're when we're leading influences those around us. So what is the cost of one? Um, even if it's just not addressing something like that, what would that cost be across the rest of the organization, mm. and how does that affect your culture as a whole? Not something yeah. to take lightly. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And they're not easy decisions when you're leading, especially when you're, you know, you're looking at a large account and you've got not only your own paycheck to handle, but you've got your staff's paycheck and you've got payroll on the line. And it's one thing to, you know, have to cut back in other places, but you want to make sure that your staff is taken care of. Mm, yeah. So, well, this conversation got really deep real fast, didn't it? <laughs> It did. The joys of ownership, Michael. And the- yeah. Yeah, the joys. I love this. Awesome. Could we um, – oh, before we go too far, we you mentioned you wanted to share two wins, and we heard one about the agency in Manhattan. Was there a second one you wanted to hit on? Yeah. So, you know, you and I were talking earlier, but I wanted to share – we've got this client. And full disclosure, it was a company I started several years ago – part-time and then I brought in a partner into it and it's an e-commerce business. So this is just a fun one because this business actually um, in Northern California, Oregon area, we grow a lot of, we do grow a lot of, a lot of things out here and not just illegal stuff. (laughs) And we grow hay, uh, a lot of alfalfa and Timothy hay. And what we discovered was uh, the pet rabbit niche in the United States is been growing since the mid '90s and growing rapidly. It's amazing uh, how many people, how many professionals who don't have children at home who make over seventy-five to one hundred thousand dollars a year have pet rabbits. <laughs> it's crazy. Who knew the niche existed? I, I, yeah, absolutely. So the more I started doing this, I started seeing rabbits everywhere. I started seeing rabbits on TV shows, and <laughs> I couldn't believe how many places I saw rabbits. So we started this company and I brought in a partner and we've been growing it. Well, we started applying inbound marketing to that, that arena. And we sell, literally, so people understand, we take hay from a bale. We put it in a box that we've got graphic design and the labeling and all that stuff. We package it up and we mail it through FedEx to our customers uh, across the country. And they buy through a website and they buy through Amazon.com. And then we just picked up some distributors in Asia and Hong Kong. So we're international hay distributors now. <laughs> it's a very strange business. But we've gone from over the last year, we had all these months where we were just trying to figure out this market. It was a really tough market. We were trying to blog to it and trying to, and we weren't getting a lot of traction with our SEO. And our organic stuff started picking up about a year ago. But last March, we had uh, 12 people came from 
social or not social from search and SEO. Twelve people came from search. Oh, it was amazing. It was like, oh wow, we have twelve people. Well, we had over uh, almost five hundred, no, almost six hundred people this last month. Oh my word! And our our growth has been going great, and really, it has to do with again just consistently blogging, writing good content, being educational, and with niches. I've discovered that sometimes they're so small, like the rabbit industry is a percentage of the exotic animals, and the exotic animals are. 5% of the overall pet market in the United States. And rabbits are only a small percentage of that group. So there's a, a unique thing that trying to be discovered by those folks and trying to get into those niches that sometimes are real competitive within them can take a while and you can flounder a little bit. Yeah. But once you start to get some traction and get some entree into that, that market, things start to happen and people start to spread and word starts to spread. And um, it taught us so much about thinking and looking and researching and how do we write our content. But it also taught us a lot about that idea of do you have what it takes to hold out and to and to hold, what we say is hold your breath long enough with your resources, your capital. And what we did is we designed a company that we could be patient with, that we weren't trying to pull a bunch of cash out of. And that alone led us to get to this place where – now the company is growing fairly quickly, and all of our business has come from search engine optimization. Wow, all of it. Uh, well, I should take I should take a little bit. There's a little bit back that has come from the Amazon search stuff, and some of that search optimization and their algorithm and everything else, and working that system. But our folks are distributors in Hong Kong, and just recently a contact from Singapore and Southeast Asia are interested in buying our stuff. And we just sent our first 20-foot container of hay over. All of that came from our organic work and our inbound work. Wow. That, yeah, so. How do you, from a, from a process standpoint, walk me through this. How do you guys work up a keyword strategy and put together a blog campaign to target such a specific focus? And how do you go from 12 visits to 400 in a year? Walk us through that process. All right, let me see if I can if I can do this off the top of my mind. But the first, <laughs> I'm like, um, the first thing we do is we just become ed, we just become learners. Okay, so the first thing you do is you start doing your research. But research is a broad category for what the heck are you doing? Uh, you're wandering blindly through uh, looking at whoever's ranking for these things. Who's talking about it? How do I even understand the market? If I don't have a if I have a client who already is in the niche, we do a lot of interviewing with them. That's incredibly helpful. Uh, in some of the uh, orthopedic device places we've been, we've required a lot of um, education from the doctors themselves, and then we marry that with our reading outside of that. How do we understand that market? What's going on? And then we bring in our experience to start guiding our questions. But in a niche where, like hay and rabbits, where you're just starting, you start reading a lot of different things, and you have to start sorting out the really weird stuff there's a whole sub niche of rabbit owners out there who are very, very, very eccentric. <laughs> and in the beginning, we thought that was the majority of them because they were so active in social media. Okay. Turns out it's just a small niche of them. A huge chunk of them aren't active on social media at all about their rabbits. Okay. So you start pulling those pieces together, looking at that. And for us, we look at um, the people who are engaged in the community, people who are, are blogging about it, people, websites that are ranking. 
and we start to look for any kind of technical stuff. Um, Google's academic search is really helpful. And then mm. we live near a university, so we kind of have this added benefit of people thinking academically a lot around here. So you do those kind of things, and then you start looking at what's trending. The other thing is we look at AdWords and um, the Keyword Planner tool. What's going on out there? Uh, combining the Keyword Planner tool with the Google, or not the Google, the HubSpot keyword tool um, helps us start looking at those things. And then we kind of just lay it out all on the table and we start parsing through it and looking at it going, okay, this looks good. This looks like we might get into it easy. This is low traffic, but if we can build up enough low traffic keywords, because we'll start stacking our low traffic keywords. Okay. And um, we'll start get going after those and then hopefully build up enough uh, momentum, if you will, in uh, search engine world, that we can start com- being competitive. We want our our page rank on our website to continue to grow. We look at our Moz rank in the midst of that. The more authority our our URL can have, the more authority our pages can have. Um, the the more we feel like we're getting gaining ground, and we can go after those bigger keywords, the ones that have way more traffic. And it's been successful for us as we continue to, to work through it. So one of the things we do is we will set up a campaign. And we just started really doing this with Rabbit Hole Hay, and it's really led, been helpful. Is Specifically, we take our keywords. So we built out a list of, let's say, 50 to 75 keywords. I don't remember exactly. And then we built a campaign in HubSpot and put it into the campaign. Once we did that, we freeze it. We don't add any keywords later on. We don't go, oh, hey, here's another couple. One. We actually freeze that. If we want to do something else, we'll build another campaign to okay. put in other keywords. And then because you can export, what we do is we built an Excel spreadsheet. And my partner in uh, Rabbit Hole Hay is just great at parsing numbers and thinking through that. So what, what he did is he said, well, let's take this and we'll take all the rankings we have for all these keywords in this campaign. And we'll mark them. So I've got this Excel spreadsheet of, say, 75 words, and there's a score next to them. This one's 100 plus. This one's 100 plus. This one's 100 plus. Oh, this one's 62. And this one happens to be 24. And this one happens to be 9. And we keep those. And every week we pull a report and we track those. What's really nice about having an Excel spreadsheet is not only can you see the ups and downs and we color code it, but we add up at the bottom of this list. And so we say this week we had a negative or a positive move of so many positions. Mm. So what has happened is it's allowed us to have an even deeper view of our week-to-week movement. And what's funny is you know, we talk about things taking so long in inbound marketing. But what we found is when we're starting to look at it this way and we can group it all and we have a final score, we're starting to see week-to-week movement. And we're starting to see more trends pop up because then all of a sudden you go, well, we moved up 200 points this last week. How did that happen? Well, we moved up in the last three months. We've moved 20, I think it's 2,400 plus points, points being a ranking mark. So if I go from position nine to position eight on page one, that's a point. Okay. And we have allowed us, it allows us to see it. It does two things. It allows us to see the trends and dig where things went well. The other thing it allows us to do is keep the morale up of the team because when we can get quick wins and easy wins or we can see the value of the work that we've done maybe over the last three months, but now it's moving these five keywords, it's really exciting. We have a keyword we were looking at just the other day that for the last four months, it was 100 plus, 100 plus, 100 plus, 100 plus. Then it went to 54 and then it went to 65 
and then it went back to 100 plus, and then it went to page two. What? And a lot of our stuff moves a lot more fluidly than that, but that one, and for the last three weeks, we've been on page one and page two for that keyword. Okay. So because, and, and the, the challenge is, is sometimes knowing what are you looking for and how to look for it. And with our keyword strategy, it's been an evolving process. I don't want anybody to think that we like got this nailed and everything else, but we're seeing a lot of success with where we've come from. We've made a lot of mistakes. We've seen some ups and downs. And this is really yielding a lot of fruit a couple of places because we can be even more um, strategic and intelligent about what we do. And emotionally, we feel like we're getting um, some kudos on the work that our team's doing. Yeah, because you can track the quick wins and and know that at least the ball's moving in the right direction. That has to be so helpful for the internal team. Oh, it is. When you're going after five keywords, you can stare at those all day long, week after week, and sometimes month after month when you're working on a competitive one, and nothing moves. But when you have 50, 75, 100 keywords, and you're looking at the bottom and you're seeing a score move, mm. you know that's real. Moving one point might not be encouraging on a keyword. Moving thirty points on a week, even if it's spread out over thing, it was, you know, it, it could be thirty different one point moves, but it makes you feel better, and it gives you the juice to keep moving forward. And sometimes in this industry, that's real important. How do you keep motivation with your staff and yourself going? Mm-hmm. Looking at these scores move and seeing that almost, I mean, not real time, but weekly feedback there, has that has that brought any adjustments or tweaks to your blogging strategy on frequency? on-site versus off-site, has it brought any tactical changes to what you've been doing? We're starting to, when we first started, we started putting two or three keywords in. And in our last meeting last week, we've decided that what we're going to do is just stick with one keyword. So that's one of the adjustments we made. We really don't need to do more. Uh, We took the last three months and actually stopped writing blogs because we had so many blogs with the same keyword in it that we started going in and re-SEOing them for different keywords. They really didn't have to be changed much. The topic was there. Excuse me. But we just weren't um, – we, the topics were there, but there was no keyword there. And, and one of the things that has happened for us over the years is you, you can get lazy or sloppy about using your keywords. And um, you, know, you get busy writing about the topic and you forget about your keywords sometimes. And we found that that wasn't helpful and then when we went back in over the last three months, um, we got a good 40 50% jump in our organic traffic just by going back and re-SEOing those blogs. Oh, that's awesome. And it didn't take long. It really didn't. That's awesome. So you can learn from what you're doing. You adjust your strategy, and you can still use the assets you've already created, just tweak them a little bit. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. Yes. That's awesome. Uh, I've got a tool question for you, Michael. Tool question. Go. What are, I want to know, are there any, obviously we're in a HubSpot, but are there any lesser known tools that are in your toolbox that are really helping you and your clients and your team find some good success? Yes. So there's a tool called Social Ears I'll give a shout out to. Very, it's a small company, a startup out of uh, the San Francisco Bay Area, uh, greater Bay Area, and they have created some some tools that we've been using for over a year now on a few accounts that allow us to do a better job of searching social. So what it allows us to do is he act, the algorithm for that software actually ranks not only what's trending, 
but who's trending. So I could find, you know, everybody in the internet market or marketing world pretty much knows Jay Bear, or a whole lot of people know who Jay Bear is. Uh, he's a very popular blogger in online social marketing, uh, internet marketing, stuff like that. Well, what is fine is you can see this guy because he's got this huge ranking. But what you don't know is from blog to blog or tweet to tweet or whatever, depending on what you're looking at. And this actually, the software actually looks at blogs too. What's being shared and what's being successful and what's not. Mm. And so what you start to do is you start to see some value of going, wow, I see it allows me to spot um, leaders in different industries. Matter of fact, this is another tool that we're using in a couple of different industries to actually find out what's being talked about more. Because when you dive into social and you find the leaders, and then you find what they're talking about, it gives you more education. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. So, social leaders, great tool. It does some uh, great things with analytics and allowing you to spot those things. And the the thing that's really hard to see is I can see somebody who's really popular by the fact that they've got a lot of followers um, in social, but it's really hard for me to see what are they what are they sharing that is successful from a topic to topic, and are people sharing that? And so this thing will track shares also. So here's a topic they released. This person is sharing it. It's been shared forty times, and they're catching that in a fairly live time process. It's only within a day or two, and I can spot those things. So I can get in early on in a conversation. And what it, what we're seeing is greater shares of our social content. We're seeing um, our content being shared in circles that are larger circles, so it's getting more exposure. Okay. And ultimately, we're getting more traffic turning to our, our sites, depending on what account we're looking at. Awesome. That sounds like a great tool. I've heard of yeah. it. But I haven't heard it applied in that sense. So thanks for sharing yeah, that. Absolutely. All right, we've this has been a deep dive into a lot of different <laughs> things, Michael, and I absolutely love it because you never know where our conversations are going to go. Um, well, I hope it's been helpful. It, it has been to me, and I hope it is to everyone who's listening right now. Uh, but before we unplug, I want to hear what is a typical morning like in your life? Could you just walk us through before work, going to work, at work? How do you get your day started? Absolutely. Um, so a couple of things I do. First of all, it's important to know that I'm not an early riser. I, I hope that there are a few people listening that uh, can relate to that. I like to work later in the evening. So our typical office hours will, my wife and I, we partner together, we'll be working sometimes till six or seven o'clock at night. Our only child goes to college in another city. So nobody's at home waiting for us. And uh, that's a nice rhythm for us because we'll stay up late. And, and so I don't get to the office until usually around 8.30. Sometimes it's a little earlier. Sometimes it's a little later. But 8.30 is kind of my, my zone. So I take my time in the morning, get up, um, do a little bit of exercising. I have some rhythms. And I am not a rhythm kind of guy. I'm a guy who I take – I'm an ENTP if you know Myers-Briggs. The, the joke is every new thought propels – and I can get distracted by every butterfly that walks by within a one-block radius. <laughs> so, so to have rhythms has kind of been something that as I've gotten older have come along and they've been really valuable. I'll do a little exercising and take my time. Um, and then I consume a lot of content audibly. So I have audiobooks, um, and so and I, and I consume them in short chunks. So every morning I get in the car and I either throw in a book that I'm listening to or a sermon – 
Um, I used to be a pastor a long time ago in a land far, far away, and I'll listen to a sermon or something. And, and it, what I'm doing is I'm setting my mind on topics and allowing myself that drive to think about either character issues or competence issues. And depending on the topic of the book or the sermon I'm listening to, there's something in there that's going to allow me to think about how I'm going to behave as a person and how I'm going to steward my company and how to steward the staff and our resources for our customer's sake or skills that I need to develop either as a better um, leader or as a better consultant or as a better marketer. And, um, and that's kind of my short term and I, and I listen to those chunks. And so every morning that helps kind of prime my mind. It's only 10 minutes to, to work, but it's amazing what that 10 minutes does for me. And then Monday through Friday, I have my morning, my mornings at work when I start out scheduled. I don't schedule a lot of stuff, but I schedule those. Every Monday morning, uh, I get to work and we have a few minutes to get ready and the staff, we have a staff meeting and our staff meeting goes from 9.30 till 11.30. It is a, our anchor point for the week. We catch up on what happened over the weekend and anybody have a great time. We talk about life for 15, 20 minutes and then we go into what's your list? How are you doing? What can I do to help? What do I need? What do you need from everybody else? Mm-hmm. The relationships and communication are good in the office, but it's important to have something intentional, I believe. Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, I meet with staff. Uh, first thing, I'm in. I get my cup of coffee. I sit down in my office, um, and then they come in, and we do one-on-ones and other meetings that need to happen. And again, I sit there, and I check in with them. How are they doing? How are they feeling? How's their list going? Their tasks, do they need anything from me? Do I need anything from them? That's the rhythm. And then we launch into the chaos of the rest of the day for clients. Friday morning, I don't meet with any staff. I have my oldest client that I've had. I meet every Friday morning at their office Hmm. for a meeting. They've been with us eight years. They've been our biggest account for HubSpot. They actually have three different licenses for three different areas of their business that we've got isolated out on three different websites. Wow. It's amazing. It's a, it was one of my glory stories that I was going to tell you about, but it, they've really grown and taken on, and we're building out a brand-new website for um, five of their services right now that we've got a soft live for right now, and they are on a brand-new account. And it's they just when we brought them on, they had 3,000 people a month coming to their website. When we brought them on to HubSpot two and a half years ago, and we just crossed 12,000 uh, organic for – no, 12,000 total traffic. I think it was 8,000 organic um, just uh, in March. So some neat things happen in there. Um, again, it's a relationship that's kept the client and the performing and making sure we're paying attention to both uh, what we do and how we perform and how we do it, how we behave in the midst of it. And then every Friday, I'm going to throw this in, every Friday afternoon at 4 o'clock, we stop working, turn all the computers off. We have a living room area in our office that gets a lot of of use. And I started four or five years ago going to the store and buying a bunch of appetizers and beer and wine and stuff like that. And we call it wrap. And every Friday at 4 o'clock, we pay everybody, keep them on the clock, and we have an hour of just, we wrap the week, we talk about useless things. We don't even necessarily talk about work. If we want to process work or a big event for the week, we do that. Um, it has done an amazing amount for the morale. So if you think about it, I've got this week where um, I start in the morning making sure that that I'm kind of in the right frame of mind with, with different things because there's enough things that shake you. 
and then we start with staff meeting and then we do one-on-one touch points through the week with the staff, making sure that they're getting weekly contact on top of all the craziness. And then Friday at the end of the day, we cap the week with this is, this is something that says we value you as our staff. We're community. We do community together. And um, it, eating and drinking together and just sitting and doing nothing and being responsible for nothing but just hanging out as part of your job says – one more thing of this is how we care and this is the quality of life we expect. And I get, I think, well, the, the quality of our culture is off the charts if you ask our staff. And I regularly checkpoint with them and everything else, the way they talk about it. But when it comes to the amount of work that comes out of our staff, uh, I've tried a lot of different ways to motivate people. And I get a lot of efficiency out of our staff during the week. And they they had a lot of doubles and triples and, and home runs. That sounds like such a great place to work. Come on over. <laughs> I, got a, I got an office for you right now. Oh, uh, does it have a stand-up desk? You, you know what? I will make you a stand-up oh. desk. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, it sounds like, Michael, you, from this conversation, from previous conversations, I know that you pour a ton of your heart into building a great place for your team, and I think... That the investment you make there bleeds into the into the results that your clients see, and uh, from an outsider, I can see that that's there's no way that that cannot be happening. So hats off to you for building an awesome organization. Well, thank you. We like it here. I, it's it's nice when you can go to work in the morning, and everybody likes to be there. Oh, that's awesome. So good, Michael. If anyone is listening and they would like to reach out to you and connect with you in some way, what are one or two ways that they could go about doing that? Well, I don't like people. I don't want anybody to contact me. <laughs> we know that's not true. Tell yeah. us. Yeah. You know what? Uh, the email is probably the best. Uh, be patient because I get a lot of emails. But uh, Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, at half a bubble out. It's all spelled out. And I would be glad to have a conversation with somebody who's, especially if you're in an in inbound agency and you just want to talk and you'd love some perspective. I don't claim to have all the answers. I don't claim, even claim to have most of the answers, but I like a good conversation to just think about um, making wise decisions and getting perspective. And if I can be helpful in that fashion to folks in our industry, then I'm willing to do that. Thank you so much, Michael. Thank you. It's good talking to you. This episode of Inbound Agency Journey is brought to you by Do Inbound, the world's first project and process management tool built specifically for inbound marketing agencies. If you want to learn how to manage, track, and scale your inbound agency with a pre-built and proven system, visit doinbound.com slash journey. Again, that's doinbound, all one word, dot com forward slash journey. Now, back to the show. Dimmer, let's talk about your conversation, which was pretty lengthy, with our good friend Michael Redman from Half a Bubble Out. <laughs> what were uh, what were some of your and you're gonna the odds of you not just going on and talking forever are not very high right now. So just tell me one thing that uh, that you most enjoyed about that conversation. Uh, well, you're gonna get two. The first one was when I was coordinating with Jess on the Half a Bubble Out team to get Michael on the podcast. She said that she read our overview of the show and said that we like to keep these interviews like 
uh, 15 to 20 minutes long, which I don't know if that's happened yet, but we like to set that expectation. And she said to herself that there's absolutely no way that uh, Michael's going to talk for that long. That would maybe be one segment of it. And her projection turned out to be true. This is a phenomenal conversation. Uh, I really feel like it's just uh, you guys have the opportunity to listen in on, you know, if Michael and I sat down for a cup of coffee and you just kind of get to be a fly on the wall and hear the conversation. That's the way this yeah, flows. Or, or three cups of coffee with how long you guys talk for. No, it's awesome. Uh, it's going to be worth the time. Michael is a, what I love about him is he is completely invested in his team and he's completely invested in the idea of building a strong agency culture and not just for the sake of what it does to the team, but the way that that culture is going to flow into and affect your, your clients and the, the type of service that you deliver. So the inspiration that I walked away from, uh, was invest and protect your team because that investment is going to in turn yield fantastic client results. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, some of the processes that he dug into around keyword research, that was fun to hear what he's learning. And along the line of what you just said, the culture and taking care of your team, even his process of that was, I just instantly drew the connection between that and culture. What he's trying to do is measure stuff so to add motivation to his team. So he's measuring things so that you can see the actual progress as you're going along. And that all plays back to people want to know that what they're doing is really working and having a tangible impact. And so measuring something that a lot of people ignore, that plays back to helping, hopefully helping to motivate the team um, and just contributing to the feeling of closeness and unity and progress towards a united vision of the team. So. Yeah. We lo- I mean, we as people, we love to feel like we're making progress. Like when I got a to-do list and I did something that wasn't on it, sometimes I'll write it on the list just to check it off. So I feel like I've accomplished something. And I think the scoring system that he breaks down really helps people feel that sense of fulfillment and know that the little wins are adding up for, for big wins. And that's really cool. Thank you for listening to Inbound Agency Journey. You can find the show's notes for today's episode at doinbound.com slash podcast. Again, that's doinbound, all one word, dot com forward slash podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, head over to iTunes to subscribe or leave us a review of the show. Until next time, remember, life is a journey. Keep moving forward.